start moving down the road uh, to, to get us back into the flow. Uh, you folks from uh, First Baptist of Jackson, we welcome you back here tonight, and we know that you are not really in the flow of what we're doing on Sunday morning. Uh, when you left, we were having Laodicean lessons from the Lambs, 144,000, and we're still getting those Laodicean lessons from the Lambs, 144,000. We've talked about with the 144,000, there's visible evidence that they are identified with the, the Lamb and His Father. We talked about the audible evidence that there is in their life, and what we've been doing is applying the fact that there ought to be in us visible evidence that we know the Lord Jesus Christ. There ought to be audible evidence in our life that we know the Lord as well. But we came to, to Revelation chapter 14 and we saw something else that was true of this group of people, and that is that there is moral evidence that they have a relationship with the Lamb and His Father. And we began to talk about the fact how that in the, the New Testament, what it says is that those of us that comprise the church of Jesus Christ, the bride of Christ, we are espoused to Him as our one husband, and there is moral evidence in those of us that know the Lord Jesus Christ that we are His, that there is a relationship that is going on, and yet in Laodicea, we are living at a time where Christians sin the same sins that lost people sin, and yet people think that they are going to heaven even though there's no moral evidence and beyond just the things that we're doing with our bodies, the things that we're putting into a VCR, the things we're clicking on on the Internet, beyond all of that, the things that are just created in our imaginations, the things that, that people who profess to be believers in Jesus Christ think about. And the, the problem is this... This problem has gone on so long and it's so embedded in us that we think this is normal. Men never really deal with their thought life because they think their thought life is these are just normal thoughts that men think. And it's just bizarre how sin can desensitize you into thinking this is normal. When Sherry and I uh, started dating, we were in we were in Bible college. You know, I'm like 24-hour nonstop drive from my house. That was probably the best thing because she didn't get to meet my family before we got married. Because I'm telling you, if she would have saw that crowd, I don't think she would have gone for it, man. I come from a I come from a rough neighborhood. Uh, I, I wish I could explain to you my, my neighborhood, where it was positioned in Miami. It was, you had to go over this little bridge, and then there was this area there, you know? And, I mean, there was one way in, there was one way out. That was it. And that was the hood, all back in there. The only person that, that wasn't on drugs beside me was the, the guy I hung out with. I, we could not tell you one other person in that whole hood that wasn't on drugs. And so, you know, we're growing up through all of that, and God saves me, end up in Bible college, meet the woman of my dreams, and things are clicking along, man. And we get engaged, and it's moving toward the wedding, and so the family is going to come for the wedding. <laughs> and I'm, I'm nervous, y'all. I'm like, oh, just a few more days, and we can just get past this. We'll get married, and they'll go back home, and all of that... Make sure none of my family ever gets this tape, okay? Just 
Might ought to edit this part right out of that thing. But they, they come to uh, they come to Springfield, Missouri, where we're going to get married. And so Sherry, uh, her her folks invited my family to come over. This is the night before the rehearsal. She invites my family to come over to the house for dinner. So now I'm really nervous, you know, because, you know, her, her mom and dad, you, most of you guys know them. They, they were in our church for about 10 years. Just the sweetest folks that ever hit the planet, you know. I mean, Sherry has never one time ever heard her folks even raise their voice. Uh, you know, you're talking about the cleavers, man. <laughs> and that's the kind of home that they've got. It's just, you walk in there and it's, you just feel like it's, just this close to heaven, you know? So I'm with my, my, my brother and my two sisters, and we're, we're making the drive across town to go to Sherry's house for dinner. They all smoke, okay? So I'm, I'm trying to find a way to say to them, you know, don't smoke in the house, but I'm a little nervous about this, you know? So, you know, we're, we're going over, and I'm kind of explaining that her dad's a professor in in the Bible college and he's a deacon in the church and you know we're just laying all this groundwork there so that they might be able to understand when I lay this out there so I finally say so you know what if you guys if you need to smoke you know why don't you just maybe go outside you know in the house you know the smell and the lingering thing it just wouldn't be the coolest thing you know in their house and with amazement they look at me and they go oh Oh, you've got to be kidding. We wouldn't think of it. And I'm like, oh, okay, my bad. I, I, I just, I just, you know, I didn't know. I just wanted to make sure. I said, you know, just that, that cigarette smell, you know, tends to linger. They go, oh, you mean cigarettes? I'm so glad that I said something, you know. I, um, how many of you don't understand that? Nick, see, see me after, okay, and I'll try to explain that thing to you. But you, I'm serious. They, they were as serious as a heart attack. I mean, just, you know, to go into somebody's house and just fire up a cigarette, I mean, you do that without thinking. Now, I mean, if you don't know the people, you certainly wouldn't wouldn't fire up a J, you know? <laughs> I mean, well, there's limits to how far we'll go with with all of this stuff. And I'm saying all of that to say that when it comes to this whole sexual arena, we're like my family is with with smoking. Desensitized. Just don't even think about thinking about that stuff. Now, but because we're Christians now, we wouldn't, we wouldn't do it. And what we're trying to, to see this morning, what we've been trying to see over the last several weeks is this, is this is so much bigger than any of us, I think, have ever really imagined. And, and we, we've talked about just the, the atrocity that this is because... What it does, actually, and we won't take the time to, to make these points, but it implies 
that Satan's power is more powerful than God's because God thought that his power would set us apart from that, that we would no longer continue to live like the pagans live. Next, it ineffectualizes the prayer of Jesus on our behalf. Jesus prayed that that worldly stuff would not be in us. And when we have that stuff in us, what we're really saying is, is God wasn't powerful enough to answer the prayers of Jesus in this regard. Then we saw that it identifies us with the most despicable people in the entire Word of God. First of all, it identifies us with unsaved Gentiles. It identifies us with false prophets. And, and unbelievably, y'all, for us to continue in, in, in sexual sin, whether it be in thought or word, it identifies us with reprobates. And then where we, where we landed this morning is a, a fourth thing. And this is so key. For us to continue in sexual sin, again, most of us need to apply this in the realm of thought. Others in this room need to apply this in the whole realm of deed, the things that are actually going on in, in your life. The fourth thing that, that continuing in this sin does is it incapacitates our ability to give God the one thing that He desires more than anything else, and that is our, our love. And, and what we did for you folks that weren't here this morning is we, we just spent some time this morning just going all over the Word of God to just let God show us His heart. And, and what is just so unbelievable, and, and, and listen, please, oh, please don't ever get to the place to where you just take for granted the fact that God loves you. You know, we see the, the guy in the end zone with John 3.16 and, <sighs> yeah, that's for God to love the world. And, and you know what? You don't want to ever get to the place in your Christian life where you take for granted the fact that the holy creator God of the universe loved you. And we just started going through all the word of God where God just says, listen, I want to walk with you. I want to talk with you. I want to be with you. I want to share times alone with you. I, 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 I want to go out into the field and share my love with you. In fact, I've designed this thing to where I'm preparing a place for you in my father's house so that I can forever be with you. That's his desire. A man came to Jesus in Mark chapter 12 and verse 30 and he says, Can you break it down? I mean, what's the bottom line on what God's wanting? And Jesus does. What he says is that God wants us to love him. But have you ever noticed that when he said that, I mean, he could have just said that. That's not the way that he said it. He told us how God wanted us to love him. And what we see in Mark chapter 12 and verse 30 is that he doesn't want us to just love him with our heart and our soul and our mind and strength, but with, with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind, with all of our strength. And so what we did this morning, and oh, I, I, I want to encourage you th this week, I purposely designed this thing. I know that there was a lot of writing. I know there was a lot of verses that were coming 150 miles an hour. But I just, I believe with everything that you folks are, 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 are talking about with me through the week and after services, I really believe that there is a, a, a good portion of people in this room that want to get out of this stronghold that Satan has 
in this arena. And the only thing that will bring you out of that stronghold is the Word of God. And, and so in every... I, I took you to, to everything that God is looking for from us. Uh, dealing with our heart, our soul. We didn't make it all the way through. But, but would you listen to this? In Ezekiel chapter 36 and verse 26, God said, A new heart also will I give you. And a new spirit will I put within you, and I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh, and I will give you a heart of flesh. He says, you're, you've got a heart problem. That thing is like a rock. And he says, listen, what I want to do is I want to give you a new heart. I want to give you a heart of flesh, a heart that's, that's pliable. And listen, do you know what happened to you when you got saved? The prophecy of Ezekiel 36 and verse 26 was fulfilled in your life. He gave you a new heart. And what we did this morning, we just went to all of the Word of God to where God was talking about everything that He wants to be in our heart. The reason that we did that is He commands us that we love Him with all of our heart. And so to comprehend what it means that we love Him with all of our heart, we just let God show us what his desire is for our hearts but with each one of these things what we began to do is we began to move into the arena to show what it is that we have the ability to do to that new heart that god gave to us and we began to see the effect that moral sin has on our hearts then we talked about loving god with all of your soul and we, we went to the Word of God again so that we might understand what it is to, to love God with all of our soul. And we began to see what is it that God shows us that He desires of our souls so that we can look at that and we can begin to understand what it's going to mean for us to love Him with all of our soul. And this is where it, re it really began to, to just pound because we began to see the things that we're able to do through moral sin with our soul. In Proverbs chapter 6 and verse 32, what it says, listen to it, that if you commit adultery, you destroy your soul. And it's just like with that heart. The day that you got saved, you know what happened? He redeemed your soul. He made your soul righteous. And day after day, and week after week, and however long it's been going on, when moral sin is in our thoughts or in our life, what we're doing is we are destroying our, our very soul. 1 Peter 2.11 talks about the fleshly lust which war against the soul. Proverbs 15.32 talks about those who refuse instruction, who despise their own soul. Proverbs 8.36 talks about how that through sin we wrong our soul. And I want you to turn to, to this one, to 2 Peter chapter 8. 2 Peter chapter 8. Second Peter chapter two and 
let's pick up in verse 4. It says, For if God spared not the angels that sinned, but cast them down to hell and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved unto judgment, and spared not the old world, that is, prior to Noah, but saved Noah, the eighth person, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood upon the world of the ungodly, and turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned them with an overthrow, making them an example unto those that after should live ungodly, now watch verse 7. And delivered just Lot. Just. He was a just man. And he moved into Sodom and Gomorrah. That's back in verse 6. But check this out. What it says of Lot is he vexed with the filthy conversation of the wicked. The word conversation is, is your manner of life as it were. It's the things that if somebody listens to your life or looks at your life, it's what, what your life says to them. It's a, it's a great word. And delivered just lot, vexed with the filthy conversation of the wicked, for that righteous man dwelling among them in seeing and hearing, vexed his righteous soul from day to day with their unlawful deeds. And folks, listen, we've talked about this, and I feel like this is an area that we need to make sure that we're understanding. When moral sin is taking place in our life, something is happening, yes, to our heart, but something's happening inside to our very soul. And what I want to make sure that you're hearing is that we don't have any indication through anything that we have from the book of Genesis where it talks about Lot or from, from this passage where it talks about Lot. We don't have any indication that he was actually physically involved in sexual sin. But did you see what it said there? Verse 8, For that righteous man dwelling among them in seeing and hearing something was taking place in his soul just from the things that he saw and the things that he heard and for those of you that weren't here th- this morning we, we tried to, to get to the place where we understand a little bit about the the soulish part of, of us it's as we, we we likened it to the bladder of a, a football the bladder of a football is a football-shaped piece of rubber that is inflated. You put that needle down through the leather, and then it goes into that bladder inside of the football, and you pump that thing up with air. And you see, that's a, a perfect illustra- illustration of the body, the soul, and the spirit. The Spirit of God is the wind, it's the air that, wants to be, that God wants us to be filled with inside of our soul that is housed by our, our body. And through moral sin, what's happening to our soul is it's being vexed, it's, it's shrinking, it's becoming emaciated inside of ourselves. It happened to Lot through the things that he saw and the things that he heard. And in our culture, anywhere you turn, you can vex your soul 
with what you see and what you hear and what is just absolutely mind-boggling is we live in a time where we'll pay money to go see and hear things that God says vex our soul, shrink that capacity. And, and some folks have done it so long, you, you, you don't even, you don't understand. You, you're, you're like my family when it comes to the smoking deal. So accepted in their arena. This is life as usual. And what is so, so scary is that we see people and have seen them all through the years in church that involved themselves in some sort of sexual sin and they think they're all right. They think they're okay. Well, that was just that little chapter of my life and now I'm fine. There aren't too many people that are fine, y'all. Once you've entered into that whole arena of vexing your soul because you get desensitized. And I want to take you back just for a, a, a minute, back to Genesis to show you what this passage is really talking about. Now, some of you are very astute when it comes to the Word of God. Others of you are just kind of figuring out that this book all fits together. And I want you to go back to Genesis chapter 13. And maybe for those of you that uh, do have your study sheet from this morning, maybe we, on this part here where we're talking about the vexing of the soul, maybe if you can just over on the right, just make your own little box, because I want to just show you a, a little progression that God just very neatly lines out for how Lot vexed his soul. There's a little progression here that, that, that you find in, in Genesis chapter 13 and following. So over on the right there, you, you could just kind of title this the progression of Lot's vexing or whatever you want to call it. The progression of Lot's vexing. Check out Genesis chapter 13. And let's, let's pick up. Verse 1, And Abram went out of Egypt, he and his wife, and all that he had, and Lot with him into the south. And Abram was very rich in cattle and silver and in gold, and he went on his, on his journeys from the south even to Bethel unto the place where his tent had been at the beginning between Bethel and Hai, unto the place of the altar which he had made there at the first. And there Abram called on the name of the Lord. And Lot also, which went with Abram, had flocks and herds and tents. And the land was not able to bear them, that they might dwell together, for their substance was great, so that they could not dwell together. And there was a strife between the herdmen of Abram's cattle and the herdmen of Lot's cattle. And the Canaanite and the Perizzite dwelled there in the land. And Abram said unto Lot, Let there be no strife, I pray thee, between me and thee, and between my herdmen and thy herdmen, for we be brethren. Is not the whole land before thee? Separate thyself, I pray thee, from me. If thou wilt take the left hand, then I'll go to the right. Or if thou depart to the right hand, then I'll go to the left. Okay? So Abram says, now listen, there's, there's no sense us squabbling about this. You know, the Lord's blessed, and we both got a lot of stuff. And you know what the Bible says? And Abram doesn't know this yet, but it says in, in, in honor we ought to prefer one another. And so he does that with Lot, and he says, listen, whichever you decide, I'll just go the opposite direction. So which would you like? Okay? Verse 10, And Lot lifted up his eyes 
and beheld all the plain of Jordan, that it was well watered everywhere before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So the area that he looks at is the area that we would know as Sodom and Gomorrah. So the first thing you want to put on this progression is that Lot beheld. Lot beheld. And then look in verse 11. Then Lot, what? Chose. Isn't that, just put that as the second thing. Lot chose. Verse 11. Lot chose him all the plain of Jordan. And Lot journeyed east, and they separated themselves the one from another. And look at verse 12. Abram dwelled in the land of Canaan, and Lot dwelled in the cities of the plain, and pitched his tent toward Sodom. The third thing, Lot pitched toward. So he, he beheld, he, he looked at it, he made a calculated decision, he chose the direction of his life, and he pitched toward. The old preacher said when you, when you pitch toward the devil, normally what he does is he knocks a line drive right back to the pitcher's mouth. And you know what? Lot's getting ready to have that ball come right back and knock him right off that mound, buddy. So Lot beheld, Lot chose, Lot pitched toward. Look at chapter 14, verse 12. And they took Lot, Abram's brother's son, who dwelt in Sodom. Lot dwelt in. So Lot beheld, Lot chose, Lot pitched toward, Lot dwelt in. And go over to chapter 19 now. And verse 1. It says, And there came two angels to Sodom at even, and Lot sat in the gate of Sodom. And that's the last one. Lot sat in the gate. Now, we talked about this from the book of Ruth and other times in the book of Joshua and so forth. The, the gate of the city, that was where the chief rulers would be. It would be where the councilmen would be, and that's where they would gather. That's where they would go to work. They would go sit at the gates, and that's where they would transact their, all of their, their, the things that they needed to do in that area. And so here is Lot, who began with just looking at a land that he thought would suit his needs, regardless of what was going on down in that land. He made a decision. He chose. He pitched his tent toward it. He began to dwell in it. And now here he is one of the chief rulers of the city sitting in the gate. And watch this now. And Lot seeing them, uh, let's go back to the verse 1 again. And there came two angels to Sodom at even. And Lot sat in the gate of Sodom. And Lot seeing them rose up to meet them. And he bowed himself with his face toward the ground. And he said, Behold now, my lords, turn in, I pray you into your servant's house and tarry all night and wash your feet and you shall rise up early and go on your ways and they said nay but we will abide in the street all night no that's, that's all right we'll just we'll just stay out here we'll be all right and lot pressed upon them greatly he, he pressured them in other words he pressed upon them greatly and they, they turned in unto him in other words they they conceded they come into the house and, and entered into his house and he made them a feast and did bake unleavened bread and they did eat. But before they lay down, the men of the city, even the men of Sodom, 
compassed the house round, both old and young, all the people from every quarter. And they called unto Lot and said, Hey, where are the men which came into thee this night? Bring them out unto us that we may know them. They want to have sexual relations, men with men. That's, that's the character of Sodom. They're Sodomites. And Lot went, uh, the verse 6 is, is, is funny. Lot went out at the door unto them and shut the door after he, he, he go, closes the door. He doesn't want them to hear what the city is really all about. And he, he comes outside the house, closes the door behind, and, and said, I, I pray you, brethren, do not so wickedly. Behold now, I have two daughters which have not known man. Let me, I pray you, bring them out unto you, and do ye to them as is good in your eyes. Only unto these men do nothing, for therefore came they under the shadow of my roof. Now, is there any man in this room that has daughters that can understand that? I mean, you talk about sick. I mean, in a million years. I could never imagine coming to the place to where you would think, okay, here's my daughter who has not ever known a man. She's kept herself. And the very thought, you know, I'd rather my daughter go out in the street and all of you guys do whatever you want to do to her all night long rather than, than do this. You know how just Lot got to that place? Sitting in that gate dwelling in that city that he chose for himself and seeing and hearing all of what was going on, but never doing any of those things. He got so desensitized, he doesn't even understand how absolutely atrocious the very thought of what he is even saying is to, to normal thinking people. And what I'm trying to get you to see is this is the effect of moral sin. God says his soul was vexed. You're so emaciated on the inside. You're, you're so, so wrung out from that thing. You cannot make clear decisions. It blinds you. And I, I hope that some of you that are, that are caught in, in some of that trap, I hope that as we're talking about this, that something on the inside of you will just start causing there to be an unrest in your soul so that you can begin to seek out the help that you need. But this is, this is serious stuff. I mean, we, we hear people that, that are addicted for years to pornography that just think, okay, well, I, I got caught now and so I'm done. People living in in immoral situations with other people in the church. Okay, we got caught. We're done with that now. There's a vexing that has taken place. And oh, I love the way that God puts it. Lot vexed his righteous soul. God gave us a new heart 
through moral sin, we start attacking that heart that was designed to love Him with all of it. He redeemed our soul. He made our souls righteous. You know why? So we could love Him with all of our soul and through moral sin. Even what we see and what we hear through moral sin, we close off that, that capacity. And then we, we ended up this morning on this thing of the mind, loving God with all of your mind. And I, I went through and I showed you all of the things that the Scripture says about what God wants to be going on in our minds so that we do have the ability and the capacity to love God, he says, with all of our mind. But let me begin to show you man's destruction of his own mind. Let me show you what the, the Scripture has to say about what goes on in our mind. Look, look at the, the last thing uh, in the list where it shows God's desire for our mind. You see Romans 8, 6. Romans 8, 6. God's desire is that we would be spiritually minded. He says, which is life and peace. But watch, watch what we can do through a carnal mind. The same verses down below, Romans 8, verses 6 and 7, talks about those who are carnally minded. He says, which is death and enmity against God. Listen. Spiritual, spiritual mind, it's life. It's peace. Carnal mind is death and enmity. Listen. The carnal mind, the mind that thinks in terms of the body and the things it would like to do, something's dying inside of you. To be carnally minded is death and enmity against God. When the whole thing is, our mind is there so that we can love God. And he says, you don't understand. You're killing your capacity to love me. It's being deadened. It's against me. It's exact opposite of everything that I am. Romans chapter 7 verse 23 talks about something going on inside of us. Listen, that wars against the law of our minds that brings us into captivity to the law of sin which is in our members or in our, our bodies. Listen, that's where most Laodiceans live in this warfare, this arena to where we begin to be taken captive once again. And I've been mentioning this verse over and over and over again in 2 Timothy 2.26 where it talks about how before we were saved, Satan held us captive at his will. We were returned to the shepherd and bishop of our souls and what's happening through the things that are going on in our mind, that are warring in our mind, we're being brought back into that captivity to where the body, once again, is beginning to dictate to us the things that it's going to do. And all of this is so that we can carry out that love relationship with God that we were created to have, and we bring carnality, we bring captivity into that thing. Philippians chapter 3 and verse 9 talks about those who mind earthly 
things. Colossians 2.18 talks about those who are of a fleshly mind. 1 Timothy 6.5 talks about those who are of corrupt minds. 2 Corinthians 11 verses 2 and 3 talks about those whose minds are corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. That's that that single-mindedness in Christ which causes them to lose their spiritual virginity to Christ. We're corrupting our minds that cause us, and part of that whole thing of being espoused to Him as our one husband, that we might come before and present it as a chaste virgin. Listen, guys, we were in this world system, and the world system was in us. We had a relationship with us. He bought us out of that with His blood. He drew us back to Himself. He cleaned us up. He made us spiritual virgins. Now, when we go back into that system, and the system is in us, you know what He calls it? He's pretty graphic. He calls it adultery. James 4.4 We've been espoused to one husband. He pulled us out of this adulterous world system over which Satan is the head. When we now as believers go back into that system and the system gets back in us, he says, ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that friendship with the world is enmity with God? And you see, because we're not doing the act of adultery, we think we're all right. The very fact that we want to is adultery because we're espoused to Him. And He sees it as spiritual adultery. Titus chapter 1 verse 15 talks about those who have a defiled mind and conscience. That's Laodicea, y'all. Hebrews 12.3 talks about those who faint in their minds. Ephesians 4.17 talks about those who walk according to the vanity of their mind. And, and vanity is that which is devoid of truth and appropriateness. It has to do with things that are perverse. Depravity. Depravity of mind. When we have, according to 1 Corinthians 2.16, we have the mind of Christ given to us that we might love Him with all of our mind. And what we do is we defile it through the things that we allow to go through our minds that we just have come to the place that is just normal thoughts. James 1.8 talks about those who are double-minded. And James 4.8 relates having a double mind to moral sin. Listen to it. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. You see, we're, what he talked about in that Second Corinthians 11 is that we would be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. That is the singleness of heart because we're connected to Him in our minds and in our, our beings. We get a double mind when we're trying to do this and desiring this. 
That's Laodicea. We wouldn't miss church for anything. Sunday morning, Sunday night, miss a blank on the study sheet, we're going to come up after the service, make sure we got that, while we go out all week long, desiring all of this stuff that has absolutely nothing to do with who he made us. So he says, listen, I want you to love me with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your mind and then he says and with all of your strength and of course our, our strength is that which is manifested through our, our body and let me just begin to take you on a little journey to show you what God says it are his desires for our body and the reason that we do this for you folks who weren't here is we're trying to get this this everything that God is trying to get us to see about what he desires for our bodies so that we can understand what it is to love him with all of our strength all of our, our body as it were in first Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 13 in fact let, let's 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 turn to this one for just a minute this is so key first Corinthians chapter 6 Now, if there was a culture that would, would be parallel to ours, it would be the Corinthian culture. In fact, in some ways, we may not be quite as far along as they were. It was an incredibly sinful, sexual city. And look at what he, what he writes to them in chapter 6. Look at verse 13. Meats for the belly and the belly for meats. You see, what, what had happened in Corinth is they had come to the place to where this, is, this was the rationale. The reason that meat or the reason that food exists is for your belly. The reason you got a belly is for food. It's a consumption. This is here for this and this is here for this, so let's eat. Okay. Now, that, that's real key to understand what's getting ready to happen here. But God shall destroy both it and them. Now, the body is not for fornication, but for the Lord. And the Lord for the body. You know what it had happened in Corinth? Not only does food exist for your belly and the belly for food, but sex exists for your body and the body for sex for fornication that's why you got everything that you got on your body is so that you can just live it up that's what's going on and he says no your body isn't for sex your body is for the Lord because he wants you to love him with all of your strength with all of your body with all that it is within you. That's, he wants you to love Him like that. It's not for sin. It's for Him. Romans 6.6 6 says that God desires that the body of sin might be destroyed. And, and listen, God said that it was with our salvation. Philippians 1.20 that Christ would be magnified in our body. 1 Corinthians 6.20 
that we would glorify God in our body. 1 Corinthians 7.34, that we would be holy in body. 1 Thessalonians 5.23, that our body would be preserved blameless until He comes for us. Hebrews 10.22, that our bodies would be washed with pure water. And Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 26 lets us know that that is the washing of the water by the, by the Word. Luke 11, verses 34 to 36, that our body would be full of light and not darkness. Romans 12, 1, that we would present our bodies a living sacrifice. Romans 6, 12, that sin would no longer reign in our mortal body, that we should obey it in the lust thereof. Romans 6, 13, that the members of our bodies would be yielded to God as instruments of righteousness unto God. Romans 6.19, that we would yield the members of our bodies as servants of righteousness unto holiness. Romans 8.13, that through the Spirit's power we would mortify the deeds of the body. Mortify means put to death. 1 Corinthians 9.27, that we would keep under our body and bring it under subjection. We, we, we push it. We drive it to force it to come under subjection because the body and all of the strength manifested through the body is so that we can love the Lord with all of our strength. 2 Corinthians 4.10 that we would always bear in our body the dying of the Lord Jesus. That the life also of Jesus may be made manifest in our body. In Romans 8, verse 23, that we would groan within our bodies, waiting for the redemption of our body. And I'm going to come back to that in just a second, but I want you to see. Now, this is what God says is His desire for our body. If you just want to build a composite of what God desires for your body, there it is. And He says, now listen. I've given you that body, and that body is mine, and I want you to love me with all of your strength, every part of your, your being, physically, your soul, your heart, your mind, all of you. But watch, watch what we have the ability to do to this body. Romans 1.24 talks about those who through moral sin dishonor their own bodies between themselves. And listen, when you engage in sexual activity of whatever kind, what you do is you dishonor the body that God gave to you so that you might be able to love Him with all of your strength. And are you still open to 1 Corinthians chapter 6? I didn't want you to leave here because I want you to see what, what goes on from here. We just read verse 13. Now the body is not for fornication, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body and God hath both raised up the Lord and will also raise up us by His own power. Know ye not that your bodies are the members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them the members of an harlot? God forbid. I, I mean, can you... 
in. I, I, I hate to even tr explain it. It's so horrendous. It, what he's talking about is very horrendous here, y'all. Here's two single guys. They got some loose babes over there, and they're going to say, hey, man, there's some action going on over here. You want to get in on this action? Can you imagine walking with the Lord Jesus Christ and saying to him, hey, Lord, some action going on here, some babes tonight. Want in on that? He says, listen, he took up residence inside your body. Now, you think he goes out when you involve yourself in sexual sin? And he says, what you do is you take Christ and you bring him right into that sin right there with you. <laughs> Can you look at the end of verse 15? Well, let's, let's, let's say it together. Here we go. God forbid God forbid that we'd ever do anything that atrocious to the one that we call our Lord what and you know many times we just come into this and you know we're quoting the verse and, and all of that do you understand that what now what Know ye not that he which is joined to an harlot is one body, for two saith he shall be one flesh? Don't you see what's happening there? You bring the Lord into that sin. But he that is joined in the Lord is, is one spirit. Flee fornication. Don't mess with it. Don't look at it. Don't entertain yourself with it. If it, it looks like there may be somebody that's coming on to you, don't stick around. Don't think, I can handle this. That's, that's what he's saying. You don't mess around with sexual sin. You don't think that you've gotten to the place to where you're, well, I, you know, I'm so godly that I think I can stand through this. And let me, let me see if I can witness to you. No, the scripture says, flee. Flee fornication. Here, here's what you do to your body. Every sin that a man doeth is without the body. But he that committeth fornication sinneth against his own body. And we've seen it all the way through today. God gave you a new heart through moral sin you destroy that heart. God gave you a righteous soul. Through moral sin, you destroy your soul. God gave you the mind of Christ. Through sexual sin, you destroy that mind that He gave you so that you might love Him with all of your heart, all of your soul, all of your mind. And now we see the same thing is true with our body. He gave us this body. This body is for him and what he says it, now he's not saying in verse 18 that sexual sin is worse than any other sin no sin is sin and it's terrible it's horrendous but he says this one is different because there is something that takes place in your body with this one 
I've never read anything that I felt like really hit what that means. The best that I can come up with, y'all, I relate it back to, look at the... The last one, last desire that we talked about that God has for our body. In fact, turn to Romans chapter 8. Let's pop in in verse 12. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh to live after the flesh. For if you live after the flesh, you shall die. But if you eat through the Spirit to mortify the deeds of the body, you shall live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. For we have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption whereby we cry, Abba, Father. There's that love relationship that we, we talked about. Verse 16, the Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and join heirs with Christ, if so be that we suffer with Him, that we uh, may be also glorified together. For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Okay, now, now listen carefully. For the earnest expectation of the creature waiteth for the manifestation of the sons of God. Okay, now, now just stop. I, I realize that if you're reading this for the first time or maybe for the tenth time, some of that terminology is just a little bit, wow. Okay, l- listen to what he's saying here. He says, do you realize you've been adopted into God's family? He's put His Spirit in you, and that Spirit allows you to be able to come into a relationship where the God of the universe is your Abba, your Papa, your Daddy. That's the love relationship. You've got that relationship with Him as your Father. And that's what's taking place spiritually. And then He begins to talk about this thing of what's going on with the body and the suffering that goes on sometimes with the body. And He says, listen... This body is awaiting something. Now, now some of y'all are you're, you're, you're dying. Oh, my, listen, okay? So key. He says, listen, this body is still awaiting something. The full manifestation of what God did when He made you a son or daughter of God, it's not yet been realized. There's still something that's going to happen. Listen. He redeemed your soul. His spirit moved into your dead spirit. But the day you got saved, you stuck with the same body that you were born with. And that body that had experienced all of that trash before we got saved, you're still living in that same exact stinking body. What Paul calls a vile body. Okay, and he says, we're still awaiting something. Look at verse 20. For the creature was made subject to vanity, not willingly, but by reason of him who hath subjected the same in hope. And it's talking about how that sin was passed on to us because the creature itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groaneth 
and travaileth in pain together until now. And what he's saying, listen, is even the, the, the physical created things of the world, they know that something ain't right and there's, there's still something that, you know what they're waiting for? Acts chapter 3, the times of restitution of all things. And even the creation is groaning and travailing until right now, knowing it ain't supposed to be like this. It ain't supposed to be like this. Verse 23, And not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit. Yeah, spiritually He redeemed us and the Spirit of God moved in us and that's just the first fruit. There's still something that's coming. Even we grow ourselves grown within ourselves, waiting for the adoption to wit, the redemption of our body. Listen, there wouldn't be one in a thousand Laodicean Christians that would have a clue as to what he's talking about right here. I'm talking experientially. What he's saying is this. There ought to be something going on in your body every single day of our lives, y'all. There ought to be something that's going on. There ought to, there ought to be a craving. For the redemption of this thing. We got a craving, all right. A craving for sex. For physical gratification. What he says here is this body. If you're really dialed into what the Spirit of God is doing inside of you, your body ought to groan and ought to travail, awaiting for the redemption. Have you ever, have you ever groaned within yourself, longing for that day? when salvation has finally been completed and you have got a redeemed body. What, what, what Paul said, that he's, he's going to take our vile body and make it like unto His glorious body. You're going to get a new body one of these days and listen. Through moral sin. You sin against your body because I promise you, I promise you, if you're involved in moral sin, you don't have a clue as to what verse 23 is talking about. Because you are not groaning for sex while you're groaning for the body's redemption. Something's dying. It's body. And what God created this body to be so that you could love Him with all of your strength through moral sin we snuff out that longing that craving that, that groaning that travailing maybe for some of you, you look at a passage like this Maybe the Lord will allow you to see the vexing that has taken place in you if, if this is foreign to you. This concept. I, I'm not, now listen, some of you got the concept. You just don't have the groaning. 
and, and what is so scary is that vexing can cause people to sit in this room week after week, week after week, week after week, and get the same Word of God that everybody else is getting. And some people, that Word of God is being injected into them, and that spirit or it, it, it just inflating that soul. And, and the, the, the years that the locusts have eaten, and the, the, the problem, man, it's just in there. Others of you are so vexed. It's like we talked about this morning. That needle is put into the, the leather outside on that football. But the bladder is dropped down and is flat down at the bottom. And you can pump it from now all the way through the millennium and through eternity. And it ain't going to do one thing. And this is what I was saying. Some of you, you may need... To get with your discipler and get honest and say, you know what? We've been doing this discipleship thing and I've been going to church and getting all this, the word, but uh, it's, it ain't getting inside of me. You know, I want to, man, let, let me just quickly give you these eight keys to overcoming sexual sin. We won't have time to just hang long on any of these. Number one, set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. Now, let me give them to you, and then I'll, I'll do one final wrap-up of all of it. Okay, so set your affection on things above, not on things of the earth. Number two, present your body a living sacrifice. And by this, I mean on a daily basis. Every one of these, okay? Number three, yield your members, and that's the word that the Scripture used to refer to the members of your body. Yield your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. Number four, mortify your members, which are upon the earth. That's put to death those members. Number five, reckon yourself to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord, Romans 6.11. Reckon yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Number six, put off the old man with his deeds it's all the stuff that we used to do in the past life. Put it off. And put off, Ephesians 4.22, concerning the former conversation, the old man, which is corrupt according to deceitful lust. God says, put it off. Number seven, put on the new man, which Colossians 3.10 says, which is renewed in knowledge. And number eight, bring into captivity every thought into the obedience of Christ. Okay, now don't put your sheet away, okay? Now let me, let me just, did, you, did I go too fast? Okay, everybody all right? Okay. Now, now here's what I'm talking about. Now, now really, don't, don't put your sheet away because maybe some, you might need to jot down a thing or two. Okay, obviously, as you look through this, this list, what, how do you present your body a living sacrifice? How do you set 
your affection on things above? How do you yield? How do you mortify? How do you do all of that? Now, guys, listen. The only way that you can do all these things that the Scripture tells you to do relative to this whole arena of everything that we've been talking about, the only way that you can carry out these things is through prayer. The reason that some of you guys get beat to death and, and all of this stuff goes through your mind and, 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 and you know, you, you, somewhere along the way in the day, you know, you come to grips with yourself and you say, boy, this is wrong. I shouldn't be thinking like this. And God, I'm, I'm sorry. Only to, you know, seven seconds later, here you are again. What I'm told is in our culture, every seven seconds a man has a sexual thought. That's why we're taking so long on this. How do you do all of this? Let, let me just... You, you know what? When, when the room gets too warm in here, it never gets too cold, does it? When, when, it gets, when it gets too warm in here, you know what we do? We go over here to this, this little thing on the wall, and what, what we do is we, we set the thermostat for the temperature that we want it to be. Okay? On a daily basis... You're going to wake up tomorrow morning, and you know what God's telling you to do? Set the thermostat of your spiritual life for what you want it to be. And through prayer, we come before the Lord and say, Lord, I know that in my body, in my flesh, I'm going to have all kinds of affection toward all kinds of things that have absolutely nothing whatsoever to do with who I am as a believer in Jesus Christ, one who has been risen with Christ. And so I'm coming to you today. And right now, I purpose in my heart to set my affection, not on things of this earth, not the things that have to do with the body, but the things that have to do with you. And right now, I'm coming to you, and I present to you my body as a living sacrifice. And you see, what you're doing is you're just taking the Word of God, and you're using it to direct your prayer life. And you know what's beginning to happen to you? The Word of God is beginning to wash you. The Word of God is beginning to find entrance in you. The Word of God is beginning to dwell in you richly in all wisdom as you, you begin to pray that God would bring these things to pass in your life. You know what? Most of us go through this thing. The thoughts come into our mind. The actions or deeds or whatever the, the, the case may be. Lord, help me not to do that. And, and there has been absolutely no setting, no presenting of our, our body as a sacrifice, no yielding. We, we come and we yield to Him the instruments of our body, our, our heart, our soul, our mind, our body, all that is within us. And we're presenting that before the Lord, yielding it to Him and saying, Lord, would you mortify this body and all the things that it wants to do according to Colossians 3, 5, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and covetousness. You said it's idolatry. And so, Lord, all of those desires of my body, I'm asking that today, and as I get into your word this morning, that you would use your word to mortify those desires. Put those to death. And I know that I can't do it physically. I know that's why, check it out there, Romans 8, 13. I know that's why you said that through the Spirit we do mortify the deeds of the body. And so I'm asking and yielding myself into your Spirit that the Spirit of God 
would, would, would come and, and take these desires of my body and put them to death. And Lord, right now, I reckon them to be dead indeed unto sin. I know that that's what You wanted through my salvation. And Lord, I yield myself as, an, uh, as alive unto You. And right now, I put off all of those deeds of the old man and I want to put on... The new man, which is renewed in knowledge. And Lord, again, take your word today. And you see, that's what we're talking about here. The reason that so many of us are getting beat up in there is we're not doing what the Scripture tells us to do. This is what the Scripture tells us to do relative to these desires that we have. And some of us would do well to spend the first part of our day just doing this. And you know what begins to happen? As you go through the day and those thoughts come in, it's easier for you to, to do that last thing. What, what it tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 to 5, is that we are to take captive our thoughts. You go through your day after you have done all of these things and you prepared yourself, that thought comes in, and immediately you bring it into captivity. You say, well, how do you do that? Same way we've been talking about, through prayer. The thought comes into your mind. Freeze frame it. Here's how you do it. Now, Lord, I know that that thought that just came into my mind, I know that that is contrary to everything that I am as a child of God. And I know that you told me that those kind of things are what unsaved Gentiles do. It's what false prophets do. It's what reprobates do. You know, you, you know, you know what's just happened? I've taken the thought captive. You know, you know what happens to most people? Thought comes in, and 15 minutes later, the thought comes in immediately. Take it captive through prayer and begin to talk to God about that sin. And then, he says, bring it into captivity, every thought into the obedience of Christ. And what you begin to do is once you've taken that thought captive, have an artillery of verses that you can use that relate to that specific sin that can bring that thing into the obedience of Christ. You take it captive, you address that thing in prayer, and then begin to just pound that thing with the Word of God. Lord, I know that what you said is that for me to look upon a woman with lust in my heart, I've committed adultery with her already in my heart and I know that it says in 1st Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 20 I'm to glorify you with my body I know what you're looking for is for me to love you with all of my heart and soul and mind and strength and I know for me to dwell on these kind of things and have these things I'm, I'm sinning against all and what you begin verse after verse after verse and you need to get those where they're within you where you've memorized those get your cards do whatever you need to do so that when the thought comes in you take it captive through prayer and then because you've hid his word in your heart you begin to address that thing and bring that thought into the obedience of Christ do you understand that okay now now listen if you want out there's no you know easy open package plan here it's gonna take work but I'm just telling you this is what the scripture tells you to do here and if you'll if you'll begin to get serious with that thing and get the Word of God, memorize the, 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 the portion of the Word of God. Now listen, when you take the thought captive, and, you know, Lord, I know I shouldn't have that thought, and I know that your Word says 
that you so loved the world that you gave your only begotten son that whosoever believe you know what I'm just telling you that verse isn't going to help you out of that problem address the sin and the thought with specific scripture that relate to that thing and we'll begin to see the, the, the victory but listen for you to get the victory you gotta want it you gotta come to what we were talking about this morning that Romans seven twenty four place you gotta come to the place where you're crying out and say oh wretched man that I am who shall deliver me from the body of this death you gotta want out do you want out then let's be obedient to the word of God guys I'm telling you now is the time now is the time for us to go another five years of vexing you better watch out You know why some of us are stalemated in our Christian life? Because we're vexing our soul, and yet we're still taking in the Word of God. But it's just like... And every day, we're not getting any further down the road in this thing. We're not getting any further along. Have you, have you ever stopped to ask yourself why? And I'm just telling you, we're hitting on something right here, guys. It's probably the main culprit for why we get stalemated. Word of God coming in, but we're springing a leak through the vexing of our soul in this arena. And I feel like God has just kind of cleared off a little section of time for this church. As it says there in the book of Ezra, at the end of chapter 9, God's given us a little space to be revived. Now, now listen. This is the way that God works. He always gives you a little space. But when that space is there, you better grab it while you can. And I'm saying to you folks, listen, God has just kind of cleared off a section, this little space, and says, First Baptist, you really want to, you want out of Laodicea? Okay. Well, let's just start talking about what's going on in here. And so I'm, I'm pleading with you. We're all in this thing together. We need each other, man. And this is time for God to, to clean up First Baptist Church. And I, I hope that you'll let Him. Let's bow our heads together. And I want to ask you something. Is there anybody here tonight? And, I, and I'm, I'm serious. And I'd like to ask, no, nobody look around. And I don't, don't worry, I'm not going to ask you about anything related to this, this whole arena. Don't get, don't get nervous. But I, I'm just wondering, is there anybody here tonight that says, you know, 
Mark, based on everything that we've talked about today, I believe that I do love God with all of my heart, with all of my soul, with all of my mind, and with all of my strength. Is nobody looking around, please? Is there anybody who feels like you do? And I appreciate your honesty. I, I, I do. I sincerely do. And now would you get that honest with God? And tonight, say, Lord, I know that I don't love you the way that you want me to love you. And you really just boiled it down to one thing that you were really looking for from me. That I'd love you the same way that you love me. And Lord... I want to. Would you, just, would you just tell him your heart right now? I want to, Lord. And I want to, I want to take the Word of God and I want to do whatever I need to do to bring myself to the place to where I can stand before you and tell you from my entire being, I love you with all of my heart and soul and mind and strength. you please in this little space that you've given to us as a church I pray that each of us individually would take to our hearts the things that you have shown us may we give all diligence To allow your word to do its work in us, to bring us out of the stronghold that Satan has used in this culture and in our lives to keep us from ever really becoming all that you've intended us to be. Oh Lord, I pray that we'd be able to look back on this little space in years to come and rejoice that you delivered us out of the carnality of our Laodicean ways. If you're here tonight and you don't know the Lord is your Savior, you've never received Christ, I know we haven't spoken to your specific need to receive Him tonight, but if God has spoken to your heart and shown you your need of a Savior, Listen, there's only one place to go, and that's to the cross of Jesus Christ. God became a man in the person of Christ to take your sin from you. But the only way that sin will be removed is if you come to Him by faith and faith alone. And there are people that will help you after this service is concluded if you'd like to come to know the Lord Jesus Christ. And we invite you to come as our pastors will be up at the front as this service is concluded. And Lord, speak to the lost. And we pray that you would change us and conform us into your image for your glory's sake. Amen.